Welcome to Sex Unshackled. I am Becky Krepsley Fox, and this podcast is where sexuality and spirituality meet. Today on Sex Unshackled, I have Dr. Lee Phillips with me. Lee is in private practice where he specializes in couple sex therapy, is a licensed clinical social worker and a certified substance abuse counselor. Lee works with individuals and couples on sexuality after chronic illness, has been featured in Teen Vogue, Healthline and Psychology Today. He is the host of Sex and Chronic Illness podcast. I am super psyched to have Lee here with me today. Lee, can you please tell the listeners what brought you to this work? Yes, and thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be joining you today. Um, so I'm from I'm in the States and I'm in, I was in, I was born and raised in Virginia and I worked there pretty much all of my life. And so I moved to Washington, DC to pursue a career in behavioral health administration. And I ended up working in that job and I didn't like it. And I really missed clinical work. And so I joined a group private practice and started um, seeing clients there part-time. And then once I left my full-time management job, I ended up seeing people full-time And then I went to a building your private practice workshop and the woman that facilitated was a certified sex therapist. And she asked me the type of work that I did. And I told her that I specialized in working with people that have disabilities, chronic illness, chronic pain, medical issues that cause a lot of psychological distress, such as anxiety and depression. And she said, well, have you ever thought about becoming a sex therapist? Because people really need help. And like, reclaiming their sexuality because there's a big myth out there that folks that have disabilities are not sexual. Or if you have, you know, a debilitating illness that you're not sexual and that you should be happy you're living and, you know, but sex is a big part of our identity and who we are. And so that actually started the process. And then I started working on my clinical hours and, you know, seeing my clients to get my certified sex therapist certification. And that's really where it kicked off. And since then, it's just really grown, you know, with speaking about the topics, writing about it, blogging and starting my own podcast. So that's really where this work really started. And it's so needed. It is so needed. I think you're the only person that I know who is doing that. And you're (laughs) just amazing. And it's so incredible. And it's needed. That's the word. It's needed so much. It's, it's needed. Yeah. No, there's not many therapists or psychotherapists out there that really work with chronic pain patients. And what we're seeing in the research literature now is that psychotherapy is becoming one of the number one treatments for persistent or chronic pain. And so I just, I love the work. I think it's great. You know, when people can really work on grieving their disability or their illness and get through that grief process, we start to see people wake up and they're like, Hey, you know, I'm a sexual being and I want to be sexual and I want to see what that experience is like. And there's nothing wrong with asexuality, you know, but people assume that someone that has a chronic illness or a disability, that they're just not sexual. And we know that the body is all about options. And so, you know, I really help clients reclaim their sexuality and really help get the sex that they want, you know? So it's great work. Amazing. I'm wondering what types of people that you work with. So what kind of disabilities do you see? Um, I think that could be quite interesting for the listeners. Yeah. So I see folks that have like um, a disability, like usually the majority of the clients that I see, 
have some type of disability due to an illness. So I see a lot of folks that have neurological issues, autoimmune diseases, like multiple sclerosis, fibromyalgia. I see some clients that have diabetes, but I also see a lot of folks that end up having a lot of chronic pain due to an injury or an accident or pre-surgery, post-surgery. I see a lot of folks that come in that are cancer survivors that are working on reclaiming their sexuality. And so those are mostly the types of clients that I see. But, you know, I see a lot of people who, um, and a lot of LGBTQ folks who have disabilities that I specialize in. And so, you know, and other gender minorities, trans folks that I see and helping them. And so it's great work. And that's probably the majority of folks that I see. And I see a lot of kinky people too. And like people that practice Mm non-monogamy that have chronic illnesses. Um, and so it's, it's just, I, I'm one of those sex therapists where I just welcome everyone into my office. <laughs> Good. <laughs> it doesn't matter who you are, what kind of person you are, you know, I'm all about it. If you're monogamous, if you're non-monogamous and the work is just so rewarding and it's so fascinating. I mean, who doesn't like to talk about sex? Yes. Well, actually in England, quite a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Cause here, well, here in the States, they do. Depends on the city that you're in. The yeah. geographical location kind of like plays a factor into that. But yeah, no, but it's, it's great to talk about. Yeah. Sometimes at the end of the day, I think, wow, I've just, you know, I've, I've been at work all day and I've spoken about sex and that is pretty cool. It is, it is because you know, just like mental health and just like our health, our sexual health is critical too. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's one of those things that kind of just gets pushed off to the side a little bit. And, you know, because unfortunately I've had a lot of clients come into my office that are cancer survivors, or they've had another serious illness and their doctors, they never talk about sexual health with them. They're like, you had this disease here, the medic, here's the medication regimen this is the surgery that you had, you're alive. And then when the word sex comes up, it's like the doctors are like, oh, well, you know, I don't, you know, I don't really talk about that. And so then they, they yeah. come and find people like me. And what's great is that I have a lot of doctors uh, that refer clients to me, which is wonderful. Um, and that's always great too, because they see that it's also important. Yeah. It- It so is. And I'm wondering, you know, the word lost is coming to me. And I'm thinking a lot of people who have gone through a cancer survivor, for example, their GP is not giving them any information and they their sexuality is being dimmed and they just don't know where to turn. I mean, are there any resources? Is there anywhere they can go that you know of, except from meeting with a professional face-to-face or online? Well, I really think it's nice if, if there's more doctors to, who practice more in a sex positive lens, right? Mm-hmm. Like if they know about sexuality. So if you're seeing a urologist, which most, a lot of them do, some don't though, or a gynecologist, like an OGBYN or someone like that, yeah. that can really refer people to um, some resources as well. And you know, there's several different um, organizations out there, like, like the Cancer Society, certain things that and talk about it. And so I think we're seeing more of a shift now where more folks are talking about sex and disability. It's coming up in schools and colleges. Um, you know, I'm going to be teaching a course at New York University in New York City where I'm going to talk a lot about uh, sexuality and gender minorities. So I think we have a lot more work to do, but we're starting to see a light at the end of the tunnel that it's coming into being. And I think that's really great because again, 
you know, if you're someone who's gay, lesbian, trans, and you're coming out, but you also have a disability, it's like you're coming you're coming out like multiple times. You're coming out about your sexuality, yes. but you're also coming out about a, a disability. And that's very challenging. And so we need more therapists and clinicians to work with those folks to help them communicate their needs to their partners or just in dating in general. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up, you know, this idea of coming out and the different minor minority groups that people are in. And I'm wondering if you have any advice for people who maybe want to disclose that they have an illness or they have a difficulty to potentially a future partner or even a partner that they have. You know, I know some people keep these illnesses secret because they don't want to worry their family and friends around them. So yeah, if you have any right. tips for this. I think the one thing that I would really suggest is that you talk to a therapist, like you get help, you find your support bubble. I always ask my clients in session, who's your support network out of therapy? It's so important to have that. So who are the friends that you can count on? Sometimes it is also family. Sometimes family you can talk to, but if you can't, then I would highly recommend that you see a therapist. And then if you're also wanting to do some work with your sexuality, see a sex therapist, because that's the type of work that we do. We help sit with you. We help navigate this. A lot of folks that come into therapy when they have a disability or they have a chronic illness that's just started, they go through a series of phases. So, and a lot of that has to do with grief. Sometimes they're in denial about it. So we help sit with that. Sometimes they go through bargaining where they would just do anything to have their old body back. To have like, why is this, I'm in this new normal now. What do I do with this? And then we talk about the anger that people have. And sometimes I think we really have to sit with that. And then we get into more acceptance work. And I think that's really important. So finding, you know, the great thing these days, the social media is just so big now. There's so many groups out there that folks can get involved with. There's a great uh, fibromyalgia Facebook page. There's a diabetes, there's cancer survivors. There's a multiple sclerosis um, type of Facebook page. So there's just a lot out there, I think, in the media. So speak to a therapist. If you're wanting to work on sexual themes, speak to a sex therapist mm -hmm. and find a community as well as other people that you can talk about this stuff with. Yeah. Community is great. I think community sometimes is the most important. So, you know, and if you're in an area where you don't have that, I mean, that's why we do have the internet. And I think it's important to kind of just find those support groups that you can get involved in. Mm -hmm. And I'm finding it really interesting what you're talking about, about this grief cycle, because I think some mm -hmm. people think, well, you know, you grieve when people die or you grieve, you know, if it's a breakup, but we grieve for multiple things. We grieve for a loss of which we know, or we grieve for um, something changing and think, you know, the, the pandemic, lots of people are experiencing grief then because life as we knew it were taken away. And I know lots of people mm -hmm. were like, why do I feel so unmotivated? Why do I feel so tired? Why do I feel so moody? And it's like, well, we're all going through this cultural grief altogether. Yes, yes, exactly. And it's like an anticipatory grief because when the pandemic started, we didn't know where we were going with it. Was it going to yeah. be here for years? Will there be a vaccination? Are we going to be in this lockdown? And a lot, and you know, we saw the rates in depression just skyrocket yeah. uh, because of, you know, the pandemic. And then if you've already, you know, have a chronic illness on top of the pandemic and you cannot leave because you have this immune system that's in jeopardy and it's challenging for you, then you really can't go anywhere. So it's been really, it's 2020 was very difficult. And as therapists, you know, it's been 
it's been very draining, but it's also been very rewarding to be able to do this work and sit with our clients and help them grieve, help give them support to work through the steps so they can get back into some type of life, you know? And that's really where acceptance comes in with chronic illness. It's like, okay, well, if you can work on accepting where you're at in the moment and decrease, you know, your symptoms of anxiety and depression as, be- as, mes- as, as best as you can, then sometimes you can manage your pain better. So we talk a lot about that in chronic pain management for therapy too. Mm. Yeah, and I don't know if this is your experience because I think that you work mainly with couples, but what I found really interesting in my practice was last year I had loads of individual people. So trying to support people with their own one-to-one journeys going through the pandemic. And then from like January, February this year, I've just had so many couples through the door, so many different types of relationship structures. And I think now we're coming to the other side, people are like, oh, this thing has happened to my relationship in the past year, you know, being locked in the same house, haven't been having sex or maybe having lots of sex. Um, And that's been really apparent. But last year I was getting very different types of issues and concerns and more like this one-to-one journey, which I just find really fascinating. Yeah, that, that's actually a really good point. I think I've experienced that too. I do see a lot of couples, but you know, what's interesting is that I found in my practice that since couples are with each other all day and they're not able to have their own autonomy and leave, I've seen like a low desire and arousal and less sex. Yeah. I saw, I've seen less sex. And now that we're coming back out into the world, you know, people are thinking, okay, maybe this is a great way to reclaim our sexuality because maybe I am going to go to work and I can see you at the end of the day and then we can have our date night or something. Or people that are non-monogamous, they closed up their relationships during the pandemic. And now that we're coming out of it, it's like, okay, let's start dating other people now, or let's get back on the apps and let's meet other couples. And I think that's great. And I think therapists are going to be very busy as time goes on, because folks are going to be getting in new relationships. I think the dating apps right now are probably pinging all over the place. (laughs) (laughs) People are really, (laughs) people have been, people have been like isolating for like a year. Now they're ready to get back out there. So and the sun yeah, is shining, absolutely. which makes a lot of people a little bit horny. <laughs> people are raring to go. Yes, people are ready. They're ready to, they're, they're getting aroused and they're ready to get out there and, and do, some, do some sexy things, which I think is fabulous. So I'm, I'm, I think that's great. It's always nice when people feel, and even folks that have disabilities, when they're like, you know, I'm really accepting where I'm at in my body and I'm, I'm exploring my body and I'm, using that and you know the skin again is the largest sex organ there's so much you can do and so you know my mantra has always been for couples but also just for anyone is kind of get get curious about your partner and get creative with your sex Mm -hmm. because sex is about options and so we talk a lot about that because a lot of folks with disabilities they can't have certain types of sex they can't maneuver they can't their bodies don't allow that and so we have to get creative and we try new things and I give them things to work on and then of course they come back and they talk about it Mm -hmm. so So is that your kind of biggest advice to everyone get creative explore the different types of sex and you know use the body use the skin work on use the body yes use the skin you know uh, you know I think sometimes we can take a problem and we can look at it like an opportunity you know, or if I'm working with a couple and one partner has been diagnosed with a chronic illness and the other one is not, then there's a lot of rupture and power struggles that can happen in that partnership. But once they can work together and communicate, 
they look at it like a journey and they get very creative, which can actually be exciting. Yeah. It's like, okay, I used to be able to do this. I can no longer do this type of sex, but hey, maybe I can try this over here. And I think when we're able to shift our mindset, which we help clients do a lot in therapy, then we start to see people come alive and they become sexual and, and then they don't need me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> or they do sometimes. <laughs> We love it when clients do the, we love it when clients do the work, right? <laughs> oh, love it. I love it when they do the homework. I'm like, oh, you actually, you actually thought about this stuff. You get a gold yes. star. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing <laughs> when they do that work. Yeah. And I feel like it always comes like out of the blue. We're kind of like, we're getting there, we're getting there. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh, I think we're there. And they're like, yeah, I think, I think we're there too. I'm like, <laughs> Bye. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, I'm I, I'm good now. I got there. And yeah. then they're like, I don't think I need to come back in as often as I was coming in. And I'm like, yeah. that's great. Call me if you need me. I'm always here. Yeah. You but know, it it's really great work. And we love it when people can, you know, just go through those, um, that process, that helping process, that healing process. And they can reclaim sexuality or they can explore sexuality or really dive into what makes them, you know, what are their accelerators? What are the things that really get them going? Are there kinks and fetishes that they're into, but they've been, it's been hard to even talk about it. And so really being able to hold that space for people is where the work really comes in. Yeah. And I'm just going to circle back to the fact that you brought up some dating apps a little bit for. And I know there's a number of apps available for those dating while sick, um, which I guess was really useful during the pandemic. Do you know much about this? Do you recommend this? What are your thoughts? You know, I, I do recommend apps. I think, you know, people sometimes talk about how they miss the organic way of meeting people where they could go to a pub, they could go to a restaurant, they could go to some type of event and meet people. But since the shutdown, people were not able to do that. And so we saw the rates and apps, you know, just go up. And I think that people really enjoy chatting. They like being on there. Some single people will come into my office and like, oh my gosh, I'm so exhausted from it. Like I'm not really meeting people, you know, it's a little frustrating. But the one thing that I have to say that I do like about apps is that you know, you know, in the past, you weren't able to put as much on there. Now you can really be specific on your education, uh, what you're looking for in a partner or a sex partner. You know, you can, you can state on these apps that, hey, you are monogamous, you're not monogamous. And so often I'll have my chronically ill clients come in and they will ask, should I disclose my illness yeah. on the app? And really that's their decision. I mean, I've had clients come in where we have actually created their bio together <laughs> or they read it to me and they want feedback, which I think is great. I like to be as, as helpful as I can, but really it's an individual um, decision if they want to be able to do that. And then sometimes if they go on a date for single folks, they always wonder if they should disclose at the date or they should wait a while. It, again, it's their decision, but I, I could see where it could be very difficult if you don't disclose it and then you really start to bond with someone and then all of a sudden you disclose your disability and they're just like, oh, well, 
I'm not interested in that. And then they leave and then you're heartbroken, right? So sometimes most of my clients will share it right in the beginning. Sometimes they'll even do it while they're chatting before they go on a date, Mm -hmm. just so they get it out there and they get it off their chest and they feel better about it because they're so anxious. Yeah. So what's a red flag that someone, maybe someone with a disability, for an example, if they're dating, what's a red flag that might be there to show them, actually, I probably shouldn't go on another date with this person? I just think when someone is just lacking empathy, when they have an agenda about themselves and, you know, they're not interested or they're just, they're, they're, Unfortunately, a lot of times when they're ableist, when they kind of just put it off and they're not very empathetic or they're not interested in you and they're not asking you the questions because, you know, relationships, they take work. And if you're putting all this energy into something and the other person's not giving it back to you, it's like, why are you even interested in them? Right. And so sometimes they will come into therapy and they'll talk about a bad dating experience. And so I think that's a red flag, just the lack of empathy or when someone's not showing the same interest. I mean, and I mean, same interest as in asking you questions about yourself, right? I think that's a red flag. Mm. It's also making me think about how if you have a disability or you have an illness, or even if you are a certain religion or from a certain country, it's almost like you become the spokesperson for that, you know? So I hear what you're saying about, we want them to show an interest in you, that person as a person, not Oh, what can I learn about that religion? You, you now are my Wikipedia page for that religion or that disability. Yes, that's a great point too. I'm glad that you say that because that comes up too. Like if someone goes on a date and they're like, I have lupus. And then all of a sudden the person's like, tell me more about that. What are the symptoms? I've never heard of it before. Tell me how you got it. I mean, what treatments do you do? It can be exhausting. And then you're having to share your story all over again. And I think sometimes with dating, that's the frustration that a lot of people talk about. It's like, you know, they're on these apps, they go on a date and it's like they share the same thing. It's, it's funny. I've had clients before that they will like type out a Word document and they'll save it about themselves. And so <laughs> then when they go on the app, they'll copy and they'll paste it. <laughs> they don't have to <laughs> They don't have to keep repeating themselves, which I think is brilliant. Um, yeah, you know, because it can, it can get exhausting. It really can. And so- you know, I think it's just nice to come in, process your feelings about your disability, where you're at with it, because everyone's going to be on their own journey. I have a lot of people that come in and they're like, look, I've accepted that I have cerebral palsy or I have fibromyalgia or multiple sclerosis or whatever the illness is. And I'm ready to get back out there and date. I'm ready to reclaim my sexuality. I'm ready to be sexual. But I also have people that come in and they may have a partner and they are just not sexual any, any longer. They have no interest in it. They have no desire. And, you know, I've helped couples also open their relationships. Yeah. Like, hey, I'm not, I don't have desire, but you do. And I want you to fulfill your sexual needs so you can go have sex with someone. Mm-hmm. And then they may decide whether they want to know about it or they don't want to know about it. And so I've had that come up in my work too. Yeah. And so if you are a partner to someone who is disclosing about a disability or an illness. How can you be supportive? What's the best way to support that person through the process? I think one thing that you can do is learn about it and go on the journey and do the process together. Because what happens is it doesn't, 
as time goes on, it's not my illness, it's our illness. It's our disability together. And disability and illness is a lived experience. It's not just the slap on diagnosis, which we're trying to get away from. We're really trying to get away from the medical model of you've got this and that's what you have. And then you're put in a box. So what we have to do is live our experience with our illness. And then if we're partnered, our partner can share that experience with us. They can learn how to, what are the best treatments? You know, they can attend the doctor's appointments with their partner if they want them to go, especially in the beginning, because it really is a crisis or it can be a crisis for a lot of people. And there is such thing as medical trauma. And we have to be able to work with our clients through that. And so I think that's the one thing a person can do is just learn about it, be there for their partner, listen to their partner and be present with their partner. And I think that's really, that really does help people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you think there is anything in which someone should disclose before being sexually active with another person? I do. I, you know, I think there's always consent and talking about it. And I think it's important to identify what brings you pleasure. And I think it's important to state, you know, um, what's on and what's off. If there's something yeah. that does not feel good to you, tell the person that because we know that folks aren't a mind reader. So that's mm -hmm. why I think it's really a good idea to get to know someone, even if it's a sexual partner and there's no like emotional intimacy tied to it, if it's someone that you just sleep with every once in a yeah. while, there needs to be communication, sex at its heart. It's all about communication. And so it's important to be able to talk about that, to be able to share that and say, hey, this is what turns me on. This is what turns me off. And I think when you can have that dialogue, it can make the sex so much better. Where if you go into it and you don't say anything, and there's a sexual activity that happens and it hurts you or it makes you feel uncomfortable, then that's going to cause a possible visceral reaction and then you're not going to enjoy yourself. Yeah. And I think that is, especially in the UK, that's what's really lacking. I think the BDSM community have it right. You know, they talk about the certain context that they want beforehand. They have, you know, what we would call a safe word. They, um, you know, decide what is and is not appropriate in that session. But for the non-BDSM community, it's very infrequent for those conversations to happen, you know, and you mentioned mind reading, yeah. but that's what people expect. I think, well, you should know what I like. You should know what people of this sex like. You should, you should know how to touch me. You should right. be able to read my mind. And it's like, well, they can't, <laughs> they can't read your right. mind. Right, <laughs> right. They assume that they like, I mean, I have a lot of cis, cisgender het, heterosexual men come in and they complain about how their female partners are not enjoying sex. And they're like, Hey, I'm doing great penetration. I'm like, well, do you know anything about the clit? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know about that, you know, and I have to pull out my Volvo puppet and I'm like, this is where it's at, you know, certain things like that. It's like, there's this assumption that I know what makes my partner get off. Yeah. And I love the kinky community for that because there's so much communication and I always wish that, you know, there are several of my clients that can learn from my kinky clients. Like yeah. there's always the checking in the safe words. What do you want to do in the scene? And then the aftercare afterwards, yes. like, cause you come down from that high. And I feel like sometimes for folks that are not kinky or they don't, they're not in the BDSM culture, they have sex. And then afterwards it's like, okay, but, but did you enjoy it? And you don't have to say those words, but you can 
touch, you can bond, unless you're in a situation where you're just sleeping someone just for sex and you get up and go, which, okay, hook up sex, got it, you know, but I agree with you. I think there needs to be more of that, you know, and and that's what I do love about the kink and BDSM community. Yeah. Yeah. Leah, it's been amazing having you here today. Thank you so much for joining me. Can you please tell the listeners where they can find you? Well, you can find me on my website, which is uh, drleephillips.com. And then I'm also on Instagram at drleephillips and then Facebook at drleephillips and also Twitter, drleephillips. <laughs> I'm going to post all of that on the show notes page. And yeah, it was such a dream to have you here. Thank you. Thank you.